Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. Tonight I'm joined by Mark Gordon, Tom Serrett and Raphael Jacobin. Welcome everyone. Hello. So to get started tonight we're going to talk about the main controversy of the weekend and this was actually a game that didn't happen. So Juventus versus Napoli. Uh, a couple of Napoli players over the weekend contracted coronavirus uh, and Napoli did not go to Turin for the game, um, but Juventus still turned up and there is talk that Napoli may have to forfeit the match. What are your thoughts on the whole situation, Mark, and how it's panned out over the last couple of days? It's been a bit of a farce, really, hasn't it? Um, even up until Sunday night when we saw the Juventus team kind of travelling to the stadium and the bus, it was all a bit kind of surreal. It was... Um, you couldn't help but think that it shouldn't have got to that stage. Someone somewhere on the line should have stepped in and made a decision. And it's kind of easy. I've seen a lot of posts. It's easy to make UV the bad guys and all of this. But um, I think really the, the league needed to step in and, you know, a bit of dialogue between the league and the local authorities that were um, advising Napoli not to travel. Um, you would like to think if they'd spoken to each other, they may have been able to come to some sort of agreement that might have might have prevented what happened on Sunday night. Because you know, it's even to protect their own brand, it's not it's not a good advert for the for the game um, to have such a kind of farcical piece of news going around the world. And I just think it could all have really been prevented with a bit of common sense and a bit of good communication, really. Yeah, I think uh, that as, as you said, there's been a lot of criticism of Juve saying. They showed a lack of class with their response. What are your thoughts, Raphael? Do, do you do you share that sentiment, or do you feel that Syria, as a league, really should have stepped in and and taken some action so that it was out of the team's hands? Um, I mean, I can understand Juve's, Juve's perspective because if you look at it from if you look at it actually from a legal perspective, they were looking to sort of cover all the bases in case in case the decision actually went against them. For not showing up either. So, from that in that from that sense, I can sort of understand where they were coming from. But yeah, like Mark said, it was it's just a bit passing already for the whole league. I think the um, the lack of communication between all the authorities, um, just the lack of information. Well, I think Napoli, Napoli, even though from more perspective, I guess they were in the right for not for not travelling potentially not. I think the fact that from I think from Saturday to Monday there was no official communication whatsoever, no no press release or anything. They just kept everyone in the dark, which really could yeah it could have been avoided. So I think on the on the whole, the, just the responsibility does lie on Syria and um, for, for making the game go ahead clearly. Clearly, it wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, it, there needs to be a better coordination between all the various authorities. If, if really, if they want Serie A this season to go ahead in a in a relatively smooth manner, because there's going to be more incidents of this it's happening throughout the season. It happened with General Torino. It's going to happen again over the course of the season, and they they need to they need to get uh, just a, 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 clear and efficient for the place. Well, I think um, 
just looking ahead, it, it was meant to be that the final decision was meant to be made today as to whether Napoli were going to forfeit the game three nil um, due to not uh, turning up in Turin, uh, but that has been pushed back now. So yet more uncertainty ensues. Tom, what what are your thoughts? Do you think that Napoli will eventually be forced to forfeit the game? Uh, it would be a massive shame given how a bigger game than Juventus v Napoli has been over the years. So, so how do you think it will play out? I mean, I really hope, just from a moral perspective, that it would be postponed. Because I think this example that, you know, not just the league, but the country wants to set, that Napoli actually followed, you know, local advice from the local government of not going to travel. And if they travelled anyway, then, you know, what kind of example are they setting for everyone else and all? citizens of not just Italy but around the world of you know who are struggling with coronavirus so I think definitely Napoli you know were right not to travel but I think the right thing to do and the moral thing would be definitely to rearrange the match in general to like an alternative date I'm sure there's there's plenty of uh, opportunities to play this game midweek at one point later on in the year yeah I think I think I share those views, given it, it should be an excellent game. And so to forfeit uh, would be quite a hollow victory for Juventus. OK, we're going to move on to a couple of teams you played over the weekend um, who could be Juve's biggest challenges this season. And that was Lazio v Inter. The game ended 1-0. Also two red cards, including one for Chiro Immobile. What did, what did you make of the game, Mark? And, and what do you think it tells us about how these two teams are shaping up for the season ahead? Um, I should say, first of all, I only caught the highlights of this one, but um, it, it seemed from the highlights to be quite a close game. Um, both teams looked uh, kind of quite evenly matched. Obviously, the red cards were kind of the, the things that made the highlights uh, or made the headlines even. Um, but yeah, I think for an early season game, two of the kind of main contenders, I, I think you'd expect a kind of cagey kind of affair and a, a closely run match. I think that's kind of what it was from what I saw. I don't really think you can tell or take too much in terms of either team's kind of title credentials um, out of that game, as I say, because it's so early. But um, yeah, just on the red cards, I think if you put your hands anywhere near someone's face, you're kind of asking for trouble. But the play acting, particularly... Um, the way Patrick went down um, after Sensi touched him was it was quite embarrassing, and I think these they look so much worse in slow motion as well. The delayed reaction, and I don't think he really covered himself in glory. Although, you know, I guess you would say that it had the desired effect because he got his man sent off. But in terms of the game itself, yeah, as I say from the highlights, it looked like a, a kind of closely fought game, and kind of what you'd expect from this stage of the season, I guess. Yeah, as, as you say, a, a close game. Um, and yeah, bo- both sendings off for raised hands and um, some quite theatrical play acting from Arturo Vidal as well. Uh, Rafa, what did, what did you make of um, the game and also how those two teams fared in midweek? Lazio <coughs> were having to bounce back from a quite heavy defeat to Atalanta whilst Inter quite emphatically beat Benevento. So how do you see the two teams uh, faring so far this year? I think for Lazio... There's no, there's no shame in losing to Atalanta, but at the same time, yeah, they, they did, they did need to bounce back. I think they put, they put in a decent performance. Um, you know, there were signs of promise 
really throughout the game, and you can tell that this, they've kept the core of this. They've, they've kept the core of the team from last season, whilst adding some new, some new sort of elements. You know, they've improved the left wing with um, Marisic, and obviously for Inter, they are you know, they are the main the main challenges alongside Memphis. I think. Um, you know, I think I think the game just sort of broke down a bit in the last half hour with the those two red cards and just the player. But I think otherwise I don't think either either team's credentials come out come out badly out of, out of this week. Say Inter is slightly slightly above that so in terms of just who's gonna be who's gonna be really pushing towards the end. But yeah I would say I would say overall Inter definitely come out of it well. Lazio have they've they've shown the you know this Midweek, midweek performance was a blip. Hopefully, they can sort of continue, continue through. Yeah, and so another team that we had playing over the weekend that could well be in the title picture this year is Atalanta. They've started the season in outstanding form, got a 5 2 win against Cagliari. Uh, what did you make of their performance, Tom, um, particularly going forwards? So they, they were outstanding once more, right? Yeah. So, honestly, like their performance over the weekend was out of this world. I don't think we have seen a side that is able to score this many goals per game so consistently week in, week out, like in years, like especially in Syria, because Syria has a, such a reputation for being, you know, much slower than other leagues. However, Atlanta are running against the grain in that regard. Um, so they're like averaging more than four goals, I think, at the moment, yeah. a game, which is insane. And, and honestly, the way they just like when you look at the players interlink and uh, doing these moves, it looks like I don't know. It just it looks more very similar to a basketball game, um, just the way they play, the chemistry between players. So yeah, it's just been another great week for them. Very entertaining. Yeah, as Tom mentioned, they're averaging over four goals a game. They got ninety-eight goals last season, and. The way they're going at the moment, they're going to smash that. Uh, what, what do you think about them, Mark? Um, some slight concerns defensively. They have conceded five goals in their three games. But, but do you think that they could push on again this season and, and possibly win Serie A as, as big a statement as that seems right now? Yeah, I think everything kind of points to the fact that they, they probably could go all the way. I mean, there is, there is probably question marks defensively given the goals they've conceded, but I mean, they just look capable of scoring four or five goals every game at the minute. They're just, they're just so good going forward. They're so good to watch. I think they've, they've came out of the transfer window maybe better than anyone because they've kept all their prize assets and they've managed to sell a lot of players that maybe weren't their, their, their kind of main prized players and made loads of money out of it as well. So they're probably in a position to strengthen come January. And it, whether whether Europe will kind of hamper them in the league remains to be seen because it is a difficult kind of juggling act between the two. But in terms of what they've got talent-wise there and the way they're scoring goals, I, I would absolutely love them to go on and win the league because I just I just love watching them. They're just so good to watch. Yeah, I mean that each each of their games already this season have been you know must-see games. Absolutely outstanding. Um, Rafa, we um, 
uh, Mark touched on it there about how they've managed to keep their prized assets. The, the only one, uh, you know, Timothy Castagna, who's a decent wing back, he started well at Leicester as well. But all their other op- um, main players they've kept and their attacking options now are um, quite scintillating, really. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think they can really push on this season? Yeah, I mean, it says a lot that Castagna's really hit the, um, hit the ground running in Premier League. But he was only the sort of the third best uh, fullback in uh, Atlanta. Really, you look at how you look at how well Gosens and Hunter were sort of link, linking together, even though they're on two separate wings. It's just it's, it's just impressive. And honestly, even though they have got some some issues at the back, I think um, I think re- realistically, you don't want to see them compromise on just their I would, want, I would want to see them, you know, just carry on, just have, having the goals flood through. Because even if the even if the defensive um, sort of issues are going to catch up with them at one point, you know, at one point they will have a bad performance. I, I don't really want to see them sort of, you know, try actively try and remedy that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I can see them. I can see them pushing. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll move on to um, a team who haven't actually had any defensive issues so far this season, yet yet to concede a goal in the league, actually, in their three wins. And that's AC Milan, who are continuing to do very well under uh, Stefano Pioli. They won 3-0 on the weekend against Spezia. Uh, they have had quite a... Um, Quite a nice fixture list so far, admittedly. But but what have you made of them so far this season, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I've tried to look at the team, but it's obviously very so much positivity around Ace Milan at the moment. Obviously, Liao scored two goals over the weekend, and yeah, I just want to talk about Liao for a bit because I I really started noticing him. Like he really started standing out for me in their semi-final against Juventus when he came off the bench, and I feel. Since that time, he slowly has become better and better at, you know, making an impact on the team. So initially it was, you know, he came on as a sub and just had those impact, you know, pace and speed at running at the defence, you know, against tight defenders. But in that game, he really showed, you know, his ability to, you know, finish from close range as well. So I think, yeah, he's going to be very important in the future. However, like, even though they have kept clean sheets, I still think that Calabria and Hernandez can be vulnerable on the wing. Because even though in attack they're very like good and you know they always contribute to the team, even like Theo Hernandez even scored over the weekend. And that's why they're able to dominate teams because they push so high up. But I feel they can be, you know, because they're so high up, they can leave, you know, the centre backs vulnerable at certain periods of the game, which might be, you know, an issue when they place tougher opposition. But otherwise, yeah, it's, it's been like, you know, they couldn't have wished for a better start. Yeah, and there are some tougher games to come. Of course, they, uh, the Milan derby is not too far away now. Uh, Mark, what, what do you make of things? Because obviously, Tom touched on there about how the fullbacks can be a bit vulnerable. We have seen that in the Europa League a bit, actually. Um, and last week, they got through to the Europa League group stages by the skin of their teeth. What did you make of that extraordinary penalty shootout win? Yeah, it was it was certainly an um, exciting penalty shootout. I actually thought um, when they got the penalty so late on in extra time, I thought, you know, 
that would be the, the Rio Ave head would have gone and it would be a kind of relatively straightforward shootout win for Milan, but it didn't quite um, work out that way. You know, an exciting young team. I think the average age at the weekend was 22 or 23. So they've got a lot going for them in that respect. But I think maybe not enough experience throughout the team might be something that um, might will tell at some point. As you say, they've had some um, kind fixtures, but you still have to beat the team in front of you. Um, that being said, but I think when it comes to the, the bigger games against the bigger teams, um, maybe the the youth of the side might kind of against them a wee bit and they maybe just don't have quite that good enough mix of experience and youth because they they have got lots of young players. But, you know, if they can have, um, they can have a good season this season, maybe kind of next season, we'll maybe really see um, them go on to achieve something. But um, it, it's been a, certainly a promising start for them. Um, and I'll be interested to see, certainly with all the attacking players they've got now, uh, how Ibrahimovic impacts on the youngsters, how they come on under him um, and develop under him, because he's um, certainly the type of player, I think, that would uh, would influence the younger players there. So I'll be interested to see how Milan go this season with the young players. Yeah, I think we're set to find out a lot more about this Milan side after the international break. So it'll be fascinating to watch them. And a final team who, you know, are in Europe every season, it seems. Uh, they got their first win of the season on the weekend was Roma. They weren't particularly pe- impressive, Rafa, but uh, got the win thanks to a nice goal from Pedro. Uh, do you think there's sort of getting back on track a little after a horrendous first week, really, where they forfeited their game against Verona due to an administration error? Are, are you starting to see sort of shoots of promise for Roma? A bit, but at the same time, you have to you have to you know look at it on on paper and think you know essentially the difference between them and Udinese was an individual effort, Pedro, which which was a great goal. But it it is kind of worrying in the um, in sort of the bigger scheme of things. I think the fact that Chris Smalling they managed to get him back on a permanent deal as well is great use because he's going to be able to sort of marshal that defence. As he did, as he did last season, he's going to be that calming presence and um, generally just sort of hold hold the line a bit better. So that's, I mean, as far as deadline signings go, deadline day signings go, that that is a very as a crucial one for Roma. Then, um, I mean, I, I think the the Checo to Juventus sort of saga might have impacted them in a, in sort of the attacking department. I think now they used to definitely staying to it and he's going to sort of go back into the team and sort of link up for the likes of Mikazarian again. I think that will definitely help him. Um, like in the end, I think that they'll, just, they'll comfortably get a sort of league spot but nothing more, I think. When you look at their, um, when you look at the makeup of the team, it is a relatively a deep squad. They're going to be, be they're going to be without um Zanrolo for a good chunk of the season as well, which is going to be a worry. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, it won't be it won't be too much of a bumpy season for them, but they'll they, but they won't impress too much. Yeah, I think um, as you touched on there, Chris Smalling uh, does seem to be a positive signing for them, given how good his opening campaign was, and we will touch on. Uh, the transfer deadline day signings a little bit later in the show. 
Uh, so moving on to the rest of the action from the weekend. And there was a bit of a surprise on Friday night when uh, Fiorentina lost at home to Sampdoria. Sampdoria had lost their previous uh, two games. I, I just want to focus more on Fiorentina, though, because I think a lot of people had quite high hopes for them this season, Tom. Um, but they've now lost two of their first three games. And perhaps Iacini's on, on borrowed time already. Yeah, there were a lot of doubts as to whether he was the right man for the job in the first place coming into this season. Um, what do you make of Fiorentina? Do, do you feel they could disappoint again this year or do you expect them to pick things up at some point? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I just like on paper, it just seems like such a good team. And I just don't like, you just look at the team and you just wonder what's, going wrong because when you look at you know the attacking play and just you know the, the signings they made so Callejon, Boya Valero, um, Bonaventura you know it seems like a solid Europa League side uh, but when you watch them play I think the problem is at the back so I'm not sure if you guys watch the game but for example there was this opportunity there was this absolute chaos in front of the Fiorentina goal uh, where Castro really just kicked the ball against his own crossbar and it was and you're just wondering like I think there's something wrong with the defense and uh, Caceres also gave the ball away in his own penalty box which you know Sampdoria eventually cap uh, capitalized so yeah you do wonder whether you know they've got the players but is Yankini the right man to manage the you know the side because I'm not even sure why he you know was appointed in the first place because you know, his previous stint at Empoli wasn't, you know, impressive either. So, yeah, I think in a way he is on borrowed time. And I think it's only a matter of time before he is let go. Yeah, I think Fiorentina will be an interesting one because, as as you say, they've signed a lot of experienced midfielders. Obviously, Sofian Amrabat as well, who was arguably the best midfielder in the league last season at Hellas Verona. Um but yeah, it just doesn't quite seem to be clicking into gear yet. Uh, a team that have clicked into gear uh, fairly quickly are Benevento. They've won two of their first three games so far, including beating Bologna this weekend. Mark, are you confident that they'll be okay this season? And what do you think is going better this time than it did two years ago when they were relegated quite comfortably? I think it's always difficult to tell with the newly promoted teams kind of long-term how they're going to fare because often they come up kind of with a bit of momentum because they've been used to winning games and they come into the league with, with a kind of a good feeling around them. But I mean, they've won, as you say, they've won twice already. They only won six games the whole season the last time they were in the league. So there's clearly a change there. They're clearly better than they were that previous time. I think there's more experience in the squad now. So I think that's going to be key to their survival. Um, and Zaghi as well is a, the kind of character I think that um, he strikes me as the type that will we'll get will kind of ring a bit extra out of players and if it does get into kind of a relegation battle later in the season I wonder if his kind of personality might kind of um, be enough to kind of push them through um, I, I wouldn't be overly confident of them being totally safe but I, I think certainly they've shown enough signs that I think they, they may be okay but like I say Sometimes the, the newly promoted teams start off really well and they can kind of hit the rocks halfway through and, and start to struggle. So I wouldn't just be overly confident yet. Yeah, I think it, it'll be interesting to see. I think I think there's about half a dozen teams down there that, that could be in 
trouble uh, this season. So we'll see how Benevento fare. Uh, moving on to a couple of teams who did really well last season, Palmer and Hellas Verona. I think in most people's eyes, they both overachieved, um, particularly Hellas Verona. Uh, but Palmer beat them on the weekend 1-0 to pick up their first win of the season. Raphael, um, how, how do you feel both these teams will will get on this season? They, they did both lose key players um, over the summer. So do you think they'll find it difficult to replicate what they were able to achieve in, in the last campaign? I think that'll definitely be the case for Verona. When you look at the players they've lost over the uh, over the transfer window, you know, they've lo- they lost Amrabat, who was crucial in midfield, and more um, more importantly, in defence, they lost Romani and Kumbula, who realistically were sort of, the, sort of the reasons why they had such a good defensive record throughout the season. That yeah, that that defence was realistically what got them to a decent mid-table spot. So, I mean, I mean, obviously on paper, the results aren't going too bad. Obviously, they, they did have that 3-0 forfeit win. But I think the perform- in terms of the performance, it's not, they're, they're clearly not, they're, 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 yeah, they're clearly not progressing as a team. And I think for Palmer, I, I, I did have high hopes for because I thought, you know, now that he's got a, a better team under his um, sort of under his leadership, he might be able to bring about more of that attacking gung ho style, but it doesn't seem to work out that way, especially because Kulisetsky um, isn't there anymore. So uh, I think for both of those teams, they're clearly they're, they're not going to progress from last season. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it does look as though they might they might struggle to. Um, get as high up the league as they did last year. Okay, so finally, final section of the show, I want to touch on deadline day, which was yesterday, of course. Um, so I'm going to come to you first, Tom. Uh, were there any sort of deadline day deals that you that you particularly liked in Serie A? Do you feel any teams have sort of significantly improved their squad over the last week with the business that they've done? I mean, I think I've touched up in it earlier, but I think the whole uh, Kiesa's transfer to Juventus is is very interesting. Not just Keita going to Juventus, but also Callejon in general going to Fiorentina. In terms of just looking at Chiesa firstly, you know, it's another promising young player going to Juventus. Uh, he was showing, you know, he was doing really well. He played really well for Fiorentina last season. And even this year, or like a couple, or even last week, he scored against Inter. So it would have been really interesting to see how his partnership, you know, with Vlaovic and Kuami would have blossomed this year, you know, as they try to push for Europe. But then again, from like for his own career, I'm not sure he will be good enough to start for Juventus. So, but in terms of, but for long term financially, this has been, I feel like a great deal for Fiorentina because, you know, they got 50 million for him. Kayahon on a free and Kayahon will bring so much, you know, experience to the team. He's played in Europe like multiple times with Napoli. You know, he just won the cup, the Coppa Italia with uh, Napoli last year. So it will be very interesting to see how Kayahon Ribery will play together, uh, providing that in, um, that experience for Fiorentina. So I feel like the real winners out of this deal were definitely Fiorentina. 
Yeah, I think um, that there's a lot of intrigue as to how Chiesa will fare. Um, it seems if he does play, it will be as a right wing back, which I don't think many people actually feel is his best position. And he could well be battling with Kulusevsky for that position moving forwards. Um, and I think a lot of people feel Kulusevsky is the more promising talent right now. What What are your thoughts on that Chiesa move, Mark? And and were there any other deadline day moves that, that caught your eye? I'm, I'm really interested to see how Chiesa gets on at Juventus because he's a player that kind of frustrated me. At Fiorentina, I always thought that, you know, he kind of... He promised one week and then kind of never quite made it the next week. And I found it kind of frustrating that he wasn't quite kind of getting there. He wasn't quite the, the big player that it looked like he was going to be when he first kind of broke into the team. And I think he's at an age now where he needs to be playing every week. And I'm not entirely sure he's going to get that at Juventus. And the other issue is his, is his position because I don't think he is a wing back. Um, I don't think he's good enough defensively to be a wing back. And I, I, I worry for him maybe a wee bit if he if he is stuck out. You know he's a he's a forward player, he's a winger, or, you know an inside forward. If you want to be old fashioned about it, that's that's where he is. That's where his strengths lie. And I think if he's not playing where his strengths lie, he might might struggle a wee bit in that Juventus team. Um, and elsewhere, one that um, was previously mentioned um, was Smalling's transfer to Roma. I think he makes them a better team. He makes their defence better. He's solid. I think he's a, a largely underrated player. Um, like he showed when he first got to Roma, just kind of how much quality he brought to the team there. You know, he's a he's an experienced head. He's a calm head, and I, and I think he makes Roma stronger and harder to score against. So, yeah, he's he's one of the ones I think's a good deadline day signing. Yeah, that the smaller one was one that sort of dragged on for. For months in the end, really. Didn't look like it was going to happen on a few occasions, but Roma eventually got that one over the line. Okay, Rafa, any, any more that um that sort of uh, caught your eye uh, yesterday? Well, I want to pick, pick up on one that's sort of gone under the radar a bit, and that's Maxim Lopez to uh, Sassuolo. Um, he's, so he's, he's a French midfielder, diminutive sort of technical central midfielder type of, uh, type of profile. Who's, um, who sort of, he sort of lost his way a bit uh, after breaking out initially at Marseille. Um, I think Sassuolo have done really well actually to pick, to pick him out as a sort of player who would, um, who would fit into Zerbi's sort of style of play, uh, especially for the price, especially for the, uh, the price free they've got him out, ten million. And um, honestly, on it. He's, he's really, he really is the perfect player to sort of slot into a Sassuolo style of play. And he's, he's not being talked about a lot, I think, in a, compared, well, compared to a lot of the sort of higher profile transfers like Chiesa. But I think he will make, he will, he will make a big impact to uh, Sassuolo. I don't, he might not start straight away, but he will, I think he will sort of find his way into the team and make an impact in Serie A. I think as um, I think as a club as well, um, I, I want to pick out Udinese and their business that they've done over the last week actually. Because I think a lot of people were sort of, were, were, were you know, sort of complaining that Rodrigo the Paul is, is staying there. 
and that the team around him isn't really up to the standard that he's, that he's playing at. But I mean, the fact that they they managed to get Mandalora back from uh, back from Juventus, even if the finances of the deal are a bit are a bit questionable. Um, him and De Lufeo and Guseto and Pereira, I think they they're building a decent a decent mid table side to sort of put around the bell. And it's sort of, I think I think mean, yeah, it sort of softens the blow of him staying um out really easy for the season to come. And I think obviously it depends on how how you know these players sort of click in the team. But I think it should, it'll be interesting to see how how they do. Yeah, I think Udinese is certainly going to be hoping that uh, the signings they've made hit the ground running because they're yet to score in their games so far this season, but it's been a tough start to the season for them. Okay, guys, well, that brings an end to the show. We've got the international break coming up, of course, so see how Italy get on in that. Um, But, yeah, thank you for joining me, and we'll catch you guys again soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.